Let's get some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the TV series 1923. And joining us today is our special guest, Leslie Kahn. So welcome, Leslie. Hey, Thank Leslie. You for joining us. Hi, you guys. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. We're very excited to yes. talk to you. Well, I'm excited and scared. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's get into it. Can you tell us a bit about what you do in the entertainment world, Leslie? Well, I am an acting teacher and an acting coach, and I live in LA. And so I do it all in LA. But of course, because of the pandemic, I guess now we do it all over the world. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Your face is so close to me right now, Ben. You know, I can see so much nuance in it. Mm -hmm. And while I set up my acting classes in a very weird way, very early on, when I first started teaching out here, I had been teaching in New York, but when I first started teaching out here, I, of course, rented one of those cockroach infested theaters on Santa Monica (laughs) on the, you know, near Larchmont. You know, the ones I mean? Yeah. You know, in that, that was the early 90s. So truly between the cockroaches and the rats, I mean, I I felt they should be paying me. But anyway, um, so I was teaching my class in one of those spaces. And then they called me up one night and said, you can't come in. We have to fumigate the place. And I was like, what a surprise. And so we had acting class in my living room. And my life changed that day. Because I had only been teaching in large spaces. And suddenly, I could see the nuance. And suddenly, the actors were not literally on a stage. It was just like they were in a producer session. And those producer sessions are basically living rooms, right? Right. Or or network sessions or studio sessions. And suddenly, I'm like, we're done. And so I bought a building. And um, it's just all living rooms. All of the acting spaces are living rooms. And it instantaneously got the actors to change the way they... Because back in the 90s, it was still there was still so much of the old fashioned way of doing things. And this really instantly put a stop to that. So could you tell us a bit about your coaching side of what you do? Because classes are phenomenal. And many of the guests we've had on recommend that people do take classes, even, you know, just to stay current with, you know, the professionals Mm -hmm. that are already in the business. But how does the coaching process work? Well, usually coaching just happens because, an actor's agent or manager gets them an audition and they call us and they say, hello. And so we do. I feel very uh, strongly about the difference between coaching and teaching. And for example, in class, I resolve to keep my ass on the couch and not let it up off the couch. Yeah, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to teach and I'm going to make sure you learn what to do yourself. I'm teaching you to fish. I will not hand you fish right. in class. Unless it's late at night and I'm tired, in which case, that's wrong. But in in coaching, I am throwing fish at you because my job in coaching is very different. My job in coaching is to make you look good and do everything I possibly can to get you a job. If I can teach you how to fish while coaching and, you know, make you look great at the same time without throwing fish at you, I will. But if I need to throw fish at you, I will will get up and I will will be the fish if I need Mm -hmm. to be the fish. So that is, and that's how we all feel. We'll do anything in coaching necessary. We'll first always try to teach. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, sometimes you guys schedule 
you know, a half session and you brought us 16 pages. That's, um, you know, unless you really know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. That's not going to, there's going to be a lot of fish flying around in that session. Yeah, for sure. And I am a Pisces, so I'm allowed to talk about throwing. (laughs) (laughs) Is is coaching always one-on-one? No, sometimes I'll have two people in the same TV show or two people in the same movie. And so they'll both come in and we'll work on it together. Sometimes people are doing a TV show and they don't have a lot of experience. Um, And so sometimes I'll bring the actor that booked the TV show into a class Mm. and we'll coach scenes with the actors and the actor that's in the show. Um, But we'll do more coaching than teaching. But again, what I like to do, even with those actors, is I like to get them way before they ever have to go on set and brainwash them into knowing what they're doing so that by the time they get on set, they know what they're doing and nobody bugs them and they don't have any problems. But I think a lot of the problem is that, you know, we see Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. and she doesn't look like the bitch is doing anything. Yeah. You know, she's so brilliant. It just looks like, oh, well, that's Kate Blanchett, right. but they have her in a turtleneck. Oh, yeah. well, that's Kate Blanchett, but they did her hair differently now. And that's, that means that she's doing an exquisite job mm-hmm. at what she's doing because we look at her, it doesn't remotely look like she's acting. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like anybody who's great is acting. So most of us, think, oh, well, all I have to do is memorize the lines and I'm good. Yep. And we know that that's what it should look like and it has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. It's just like you can take a car and you can put a Maserati frame on it, but if there isn't like a real good engine in there and a whole bunch of spark plugs and some gas and I don't know anything about cars, so I don't know what else would go in there. You're nailing it. But you understand. And that's, yeah. I think, a lot right. of what happens with baby actors. And then they go to an acting class and acting 101 is be real, just be real. And so if an actor goes, what? And they're like, that's not real, right? And they're like, take it down, be real. So then you got a whole bunch of actors running around. I heard this casting director the other day say, the actors were just saying, how do we set ourselves apart for you? How do we show you, you know, what's great about us? How do we get you to notice us? And he goes, just be simple and real. And I went, ugh. (laughs) And I could just imagine all these actors running around town the next week doing whatever their audition was with great reality and simplicity. Yeah. That's the result. The result is that it should look simple and real. But that has nothing to do with what Kate Blanchett has done to make it look simple and real. And that's a really hard thing, I think, to get younger actors to realize and, and to believe. But my God, you know, when you get the ones that believe it, the sky's the limit. Yeah. It's amazing because sometimes like what happened to me as an actor is I was so brainwashed with you need to have 47 objectives and 603 actions and 17,000 substitutions and 83 sense memories that I I was nowhere near the scene. (laughs) I I was just very busy, you know, in my childhood while I was in the middle of the scene. So then it took forever for me to come to understand that's not necessarily the only way to go. But some of these kids who are just like, hey, let me try acting. After I get past my heart failure at the sentence, hey, let me try acting. (laughs) Because they don't have a lot of bad shit in their heads. My God, they can be exquisite and extraordinary so quickly. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. 
So you've mentioned your background a little bit, but can you kind of walk us through what you've done in the past that kind of got you to where you are today and what influenced the style of acting you like to teach? Sure. So I was always in the plays growing up and, you know, I was the big deal actress in my high school. And then my parents wouldn't let me go to Juilliard. They were like, no, you have to get a fine Eastern education because you're not going to be an actress and you're going to need to go to law school. And so you'd best go to an Ivy League school. So I did. I went to Cornell. And I have some opinions about Cornell that I'd like to share with you. Okay. Sure. Cornell is the easy, or at least was in my day, the easiest or the second easiest Ivy League to get into and the hardest one to stay in while remaining alive. Because there's like a suicide rate at Cornell because okay. there are these beautiful gorges that you can yeah. throw yourself off of and die in great beauty. Mm. It's really, it was really, really hard for me, Cornell. But anyway, I, I, I went there. And I acted anyway. And then my parents allowed me to transfer to NYU. So I did the Circle in the Square program there for a couple of years. And I can't say I liked it, but I did it. Yeah. And I, I was just happy that I wasn't at Cornell anymore. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then, you know, of course, I wanted to act. And my parents said, no, you have to go to graduate school. And they said, if you can get into Yale or Juilliard, you can be an actor. Wow. But if you can't get into one of those, you're going to law school. And, you know, that seemed fairly reasonable to me. Yeah. I was just excited that I was being given an option. To yeah. I ended up going to Yale. And that's when everything sort of changed. Because up until, until Yale, everybody thought I was the second coming of Christ of acting. Anything I did, oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, you're the greatest thing in the world. Oh my God, you're such a brilliant genius. And then I went to Yale and for three years, I couldn't figure out why those people let me in because my God, they hated me. And listen, in retrospect, they had every reason to hate me. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was anorexic and I was bulimic and I was an alcoholic and I was probably a drug addict and everything else that you could possibly be. And I'm sure they noticed those things that nobody had ever noticed before. So Yale was really rough for me. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I knew I wasn't good. I didn't know why I wasn't good. But here was the thing. They couldn't tell me why I wasn't good and they couldn't make me any better. Mm. And it really bugged me. And I, I wasn't like thinking about doing anything about it. I was too busy throwing up and starving myself to think about that. But at some point I got out and I remember going to an audition and I remember them at the audition, them saying, great, can you give us just a lot more? Just have fun with it. And I did. And they were like, no, not that. <laughs> and then they said, we need you to be a lot more real. And so then I was a lot more real. And they went, no. And they were wonderful. And they tried so hard. They gave me 5,000 different directions. And I not one of them enabled me to do what they wanted me to do. And at that time, um, I had a boyfriend who was a director. And he said, he sort of had a British accent and he said, you should get a teaching job. And I remember saying, I obviously don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Why would anybody want me to teach anything? And he said, just try. And I did. I got a job teaching acting at a college in Manhattan. And that was when my life changed. They told me they wanted me to teach styles. I had no idea what the fuck they were talking about. Mm -hmm. So I decided to teach Shakespeare. Because I really liked, I'd always liked Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And so I read Cecily Berry's book and I went, ah, I'll just teach Cecily Berry. And I did. And I, I don't know what to say to you guys, but it was like the curtain was lifted. It was mm -hmm. suddenly everything changed. And suddenly, first of all, I was real happy. 
I hadn't been happy acting since high school. And even then, I don't know if I was particularly happy. I just had the greatest acting teacher in high school known to mankind. Her name was Bar- is Barbara June Greener Patterson. And she was the greatest thing ever. And I'm just going to plug her right now. Yeah. She, in my opinion, is the grandmother of Steppenwolf Theater Company. Yeah. Oh, wow. Both Gary Sinise and Jeff Perry were five years ahead of me in high school and they had her and were influenced by her too. Wow. And I think she instilled in so many of us this passion yeah. for acting and this love for it. Anyway, I guess that was, I was still in New York when I was teaching and then Somebody said, you should, you should move to LA because there's so many more opportunities. And I guess I did. I don't really remember very clearly now. And, and then I had a great agent in LA and they called me and they said, cause in those days they would call you and tell you, you had an audition. We didn't have freaking phones, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have anything. We just had, you know, Honda Accords with 147,000 miles on them sure. from 1981 that barely made it up the 405. So this agent, he called me and he said, I had an audition. And I said, you know, I have this client. Um, Do you know so-and-so? And I said the name of the client, who is now super famous, by the way. And he goes, uh, no, I don't know who she is. And I go, she would be much better for the role than, than I am. And he paused. And he said, you do know that you don't want to act anymore, right? And I said, no, I love acting. I totally want to keep acting. And that was the end of that. Yeah. So I've been, I've been teaching ever since. And so, but when you put that acting and the teaching together for me, suddenly I was um, full. I had everything I needed. You were I fulfilled. Didn't have, yeah. I was fulfilled. I didn't have enough when I was acting, never. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that teaching something else would have worked for me, yeah. but teaching acting is so fulfilling for me mm-hmm. and and also getting to run around and rescue actors that I just see yeah are going through what I went through when I was just like in graduate school and they were saying no and I'd be like why mm-hmm. and they would be they would say have a new objective and I would mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be a good enough objective yeah. I never had the right objective ever and so um just by teaching I found another way it's about the coolest thing in the yeah. world. I feel very, very, very lucky. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Hearing about how you had a great acting teacher that had probably had some influence, right? Just having that kind of role model. Oh, it's everything. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I think a lot of people sort of wake up and go, ha ha, this acting thing is not working for me. What yeah. do I do? Right. When that boyfriend said to me, you should get a teaching job. I didn't have that, oh, you know, bottom of the barrel. I would never want to be a teacher. Ugh. I was like... I could be like Barbara Jill. Yeah. Oh my God. Like my Christmas thing that I posted on Instagram was basically about how I adore her and how, yeah. how amazing she was and the mm-hmm. gift that she gave me. And I've never had a teacher like that. She might not have had, you know, great boundaries, but Hey, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Perfect. <laughs> Leslie, how do you prep actors for auditioning? Cause that's such a, a stressful or challenging part of the job? Well, Ben, it's only, it's stressful and challenging, A, when they don't know us and the way we work, mm-hmm. and they have years and years and years of other training in their head. Yeah. yeah. And that training is in their way of seeing what the page is asking them to do. It's just like, I think it's got to be really hard to learn Italian when you already know French, because French yeah. and Italian are not that different. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, well, maybe they are. I don't know. I don't speak really either one, but you kind of know what I mean. Yeah, they're close. I just, yeah. 
it, it's probably much easier or it's easier for the brain to, to have to learn Chinese versus if you already know French, because you're like, okay, well, this is a whole different alphabet. Yeah. This is a whole different thing. Your brain is ready for it. I don't think some people that have had all these years of other training are ready for me to go, no, just do it like this. No, just do this. I don't think they're quite ready for that. Now then, um, some of them are so ready for it. They're so sick of getting close and not booking. Yeah. They're so close, sick of not getting close and not booking. Yep. They're so sick of it. They're like, I'll just do it every time you do it. Just tell me to do it and I'll do it. And that's great. It's hard when I have to prepare like athletes or um, stand-ups or yeah. improv people or um, uh, uh, musicians or people that haven't ever really had to deal with the script. When you guys do an improv, is the ideal because you don't have to know what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> and so the hardest thing for an actor, I think, mm -hmm. is to get through their head. Yes, you do have to say the next line. And in TV and film, you have to say it exactly the way yeah. they wrote it. Yeah. Right? Right. But here's the deal. You can't be thinking about that. Yeah. Well, how am I going to get the line out of my face if I'm not thinking about it? Ha ha. And this is why they start you at 37.5 a week. Yeah. Because most people can't figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. We have figured out how to do that. And now we got to get you to do it. Yeah. And it's not easy because it is the opposite of the way we were educated mm -hmm. in school. We were taught, here's the book, read the book, memorize the book, regurgitate the book. Yeah. Right? And this is exactly the opposite. It's very hard to teach someone that what we really want is something you've never done before. No, no, no. That's why I'm coaching with you. I'm coaching with you so you can tell me how to do it. Yeah, but if that's what you're thinking about when you go in the room, if you're thinking, and then Leslie said to do this, and then Leslie said to do this, you are not going to get the job. Yeah. Because right. they're going to see that you're thinking about me and that you're not thinking about the other person in the scene or whatever just happened in the scene. And that's just hard for... It's really hard for us to get. Mm -hmm. I still have to continue to talk myself into that they really don't want that perfect performance that I figured out. Yeah. That's not what they want at all. They want, they want something near that perfect performance, but without that perfection in it. Mm -hmm. They don't want me to have, well, now I do this, and now I do this, and yeah. then I go like this. Yeah. But I say this line like that, no matter what. It's not that. And... That just is so the opposite of everything we've ever learned in our educational system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I'm having to teach people is a completely different way of thinking about acting and about art. Otherwise, we would all be buying those carbon copies of famous paintings. Mm -hmm. right. My husband took me to Carmel once. I love telling this thing. But we went to Carmel. And you know how there are those beautiful galleries in Carmel. And we went to this gallery. And he goes, look at that picture. It's so beautiful. And we looked at it. We were like, agog. It's so beautiful. And then he goes, turn around. And when I turned around, there was the exact same picture. Ah. <laughs> yeah. But this picture was the original. And okay. I went and looked at that one and it took my breath away. It wasn't just beautiful. It was like alive and it was coming out and strangling me. It was yeah. so extraordinary. That one cost $33,000. Okay. The first one I looked at cost $3,000. And so it's hard to teach that. Yeah. Especially when a lot of $3,000 paintings are getting bought. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so then I'm sitting there going, no, I want the $33,000 painting. Yeah. 
Do you have any moments from your career that were just an unbelievable moment or just a favorite moment where you're like, I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living? You know, I feel like for the past few years, a lot of individual people have been killing it, but lately I'm seeing them together. Yeah. Like this one from the late nineties and this one from the early aughts, they're together (laughs) doing this thing. And then these three from three different times are together doing this thing. The thing for me is when they cross over the actors cross over from not being in the game at all yeah. and not really knowing that they're not even the ga- in the game, even though I tell them they're not in the game and they hate me for it, <laughs> you know? And the only reason I tell them is so that they'll do something about it. Yeah. Cause nobody was that for me. Nobody, when I was an actor, nobody was telling me shit. I, and that was my whole problem. They weren't telling me how to improve yeah. my acting. They weren't telling me, you know, why I can't wear that those those clothes. They weren't telling me anything. And I realize now that it's because they didn't know. I'm sure they would have told me had they known. But now I'm like, you know, I don't know how much time I got left. I got to let as many people know yeah. what they need to know as humanly possible before I'm out. And, you know, sometimes they don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll say something like this hairstyle is not selling anything. And I need you to, you know, why don't you try this or this? Or why don't you try that? Or go to want to do the one of those programs where you try the different things on the thing and the thing, you know, and then the weeks go by and nothing happens. And then I get a little bit more agitated and I'm like, do you want the acting career? Because you need to look like something they see in the breakdowns. And yeah. I'm close quoting a casting director named Patrick Baca when I say that. You need to look, well, so-and-so didn't, yes. And that's why you read that news article because it was such a surprise. Yeah. But most of the time, they actually are going to cast what they say they're going to cast. Yeah. So it would be really good if we could squeeze you into one of those categories. And when I can't get them to do it, I will admit that I get extremely aggressive. Yeah. Because you hired me to fix this. And yeah. God damn it, I'm going to fucking fix it. And yeah. you don't have to like how I say it. You just have to do it. Mm-hmm. And a girl recently who gorgeous, statuesque, girl who just looked like an Amazon and her voice was like this. And I'm like, this is not working unless you're doing voiceover and playing rodents. This is really not going to work at all. And there was just a lot of fighting and fighting. And and she finally fixed it. It took a long time, but that that's great. Now, now she's going to call me in a couple of weeks. She's going to have a job because her acting is fixed. Her voice is fixed. And now we've just got to get past you know, that crew of casting directors that don't want to cast her because they've seen all those auditions with the bad voice and the bad acting. They got to get to the point where they believe in her Mm -hmm. and then she's going to get a job and then I'm going to cavell. Yeah. Well, it's those things. It can be great big ones. Right. You know, it can be massive feature films and huge TV series, but it can also be, I got my first co-star. Yeah. And those are massive, Yeah, you know, because now you're in the game and now we just got to keep it going. We got to keep you in the game. Mm-hmm. It has to be satisfying to see someone you've coached or teach book those roles and start having a working acting career because that's the goal, right? Susan, it's like what what really gets me is that you don't remember when you were bad improvisers, do you? Well, I got improv is different. Not as much. I probably don't remember all of it. But I knew you when is what it, I remember when I met you. Yeah. It's etched in my brain. What, what my first meeting with you, I yeah. remember, and I remember what you did on that scene. And I lived through the last, I don't know how many months or years with you. And now look at you. You can't see it. I feel like on some level, I'm the only one Yeah, that really gets to see that difference. And it's, it's like 
it's massive in my body. Yeah. It's thrilling. That's great. Well, Leslie, we have one more question before we can fully focus on the show. Uh-oh, this looks scary. Oh, no, it's okay. I'm building it up for no, for no reason at all. Okay, excellent. So what advice do you have for people who do want to get in, either into acting or teaching? Well, you if you want to get in, into acting, I just think you should act. Wherever you are right now, go get a play, go get into an acting class, um, read everything, and just start. I remember in the 90s, my friend uh, was dating Sandra Bullock. My hmm. friend is also a famous actor who was a client. And I remember going to a party, a big party that the group was giving. And I remember seeing Sandy at the party, not talking to anybody. She was over on the other side of the room with a magazine. And I remember saying to her boyfriend, what is she doing? And he goes, she's studying. And I, and I said, I, I don't understand. And he goes, her job is to look at what is cool and what is beautiful and what is in vogue and in style because she's going out for those movies and she has to be that. Yeah. And she studied. Too many of us just expect to come to LA or New York or Chicago or wherever we go, Vancouver, and we just expect somebody to go, oh, Susan, thank God you're here. I am going to cast you because you have arrived. <laughs> and I don't think anyone understands that they've got to look like money mm -hmm. to the buyer. And money can look like many things. You know, you can be in a boy band and, you know, that boy band catapults to stardom and suddenly everybody wants you to be the lead in their movie. That's yeah. a whole nother, you know, issue. You could be an influencer. There are so many things, but people aren't usually just picking up good actors off the street yeah. and saying, hey, do you want to lead in a TV show? You know, we wish, but good acting seems to be like the last thing anybody's worried about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I say to actors, don't poo-poo reality TV. Don't yeah. poo-poo uh, TikTok. Don't poo-poo anything. You never know what Mick G is going to see at yeah. two o'clock in the morning somewhere. And he's going to go, yes, that motherfucker. Yes. I want that motherfucker in my project. Yep. Right. And you just never know. And it usually is because your charisma and fabulosity is coming through because you're loving what you're doing. Yeah. And if you want to be a teacher, you could come and let me teach you how to teach. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, because I teach everybody basically how to coach. Yeah. You know, my job is basically to make myself unnecessary. Greetings, movie watchers of every kind. This is Bo. And Brittany. And Ian. From the Movie Cinema Film Club. Every week, we take turns choosing a film to watch, dissect, discuss, destroy, and delight in, and we invite you to join us in the wild banter. We're not your typical critics. In fact, we aren't critics at all. But we dive into all types of cinema, whether it be blockbusters, art house, foreign, B-movies, classics, or the bullshit that Ian likes, and we jump into it all with a drink in hand and some hot takes from our very different perspectives. Very funny, Britt. We even throw in some trivia and games in as well. Plus, we have an ongoing list of what we've watched, how we rated them, that we're willing to share with you so you'll know what's great, what's good, and what's garbage. If you like movies, cinema, film, or clubs, we got you covered. That's Movie Cinema Film Club, and it's available everywhere you listen to podcasts. So let's get to our featured series. Today, we're discussing the 2022 TV series, 1923. It was created and written by Taylor Sheridan, and it was directed by Ben Richardson. It stars Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford. So, Susan, give us a quick breakdown. What's this show about? 
Yeah, so this is another chapter in the Dutton family. So it's a sequel to 1883, um, which came out before this, and then obviously a prequel to Yellowstone. So another chapter of that family, obviously different time period in Montana, right before the Great Depression, but um, the Great Depression kind of started. 29. Yeah, it started. Yeah. And Montana felt some effects sooner than some other places. So right around the time where that's really about to start a few years before, they're dealing with locusts that are destroying the grass. So they're having problems with their cattle. And obviously in a place like Montana, where everyone's raising livestock, that creates a ton of tension. And there's also family stuff going on. Jack, one of the sons is getting married. Um, One of the sons is in Africa, dealing with the effects of his time in World War I. So it's really just about another chapter in this family unfolding. And you're seeing these characters that are kind of going to lead up and influence somewhat what's going on in Yellowstone. So so Leslie, you chose this series for us to watch. Why did you choose this one? Well, I'm obsessed with Yellowstone. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you, you, to answer another question you asked, what's one of the most thrilling things in my career that's ever happened? Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I knew him when. You know, I knew him when he was a starving actor. And that's what, what the main thing that I wanted to talk about with 1923 and with Taylor Sheridan is... The, the nature of everybody doing exquisite work. You know, right now, Yellowstone is just such an exquisite and stunning television show. And it's really the only show, I, I like some other shows right now, but it's really the only show that when I watch, I'm gone. Yeah. Mm. I'm not on the couch with my husband and my dog and my fireplace. I'm not eating popcorn. I'm not. I am in Montana. And I am, you know, worshiping at the feet of Kelly Riley and... You know, um, Kevin Costner, who isn't Kevin Costner, the one that did the Robin Hood movie? Yeah, yep. the Prince of Thieves. Right? I mean, yep. I did not like Kevin Costner. <laughs> I was not predisposed yeah. to being happy about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Costner is exquisite. And everybody, Jennifer Landon, yeah. is unbelievable mm-hmm. on the show. And Taylor knows that. And that's why he made her a series regular, because I'm sure he thought to himself, Landon, somebody is going to see what a genius Jennifer Landon is. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm talking about Jennifer Landon because I know you guys had her on yes. the show. Yeah, so yes. I know you- Taylor Sheridan is a genius. So I'm mm-hmm. sure he thought, well, I better give that bitch a series regular before somebody else notices that she's a genius right. yeah. and pays her more money and takes her away from me. Yeah. Because that's what's happening. Cole Hauser is doing unbelievable work on that show and and it's not just the actors that are doing exquisite exquisite work it's the designers it's it's obviously taylor sheridan's writing it's Mm -hmm. the direction it's all of the producers it's wardrobe it's lighting it's sound it's and and that takes me back to friends you know and because one of the first things we teach is friends and and everybody's like why are you teaching a show that has been off the air for 30 years (laughs) well because it's the best. Yeah. Well, to you it is. I don't really like it. And, you know, as my co-teacher, uh, Katie Butterwitz always likes to say, it did not age well, Leslie. It did not age well. And she's right. It didn't age well. But still, if you end up on a almost desert island in the middle of some ocean and there's one TV on the island, it's playing Friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's not playing something that's aged better. It's playing Friends because everything right. about Friends was exquisite. Not just those six actors who are exquisite, but the writing was exquisite. The 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 production design yeah. was exquisite. The wardrobe, the hair—all anybody talked about for twenty years was Jennifer Aniston's hair, right? Yeah. And I think 
you know, that's one of the things that's that's got me freaking out about 1923 is that that's another example of it is exquisite. Mm-hmm. If you think about Yellowstone or 1923 and you describe like, oh, you're going to watch people like herd cattle, that might not sound interesting, like in words, but it's it's about the people you have doing it right and what they're saying. It's like, I think it's about relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we don't watch... Yellowstone or 1923 to watch people herd cattle. No, right. I it's not really about we, that at all. Yeah. No, we we like to see Harrison Ford's relationship with yeah. his nephew. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember watching the, one of those scenes last night going, I love the way that man came here and basically rescued his nephew. Yeah. And I love the relationship between the nephew and the girl he's going to marry. Yes. And um, I, I loved seeing Helen Mirren being such a badass. Mm-hmm. And I love the relationship. I, I I love seeing the relationship between Harrison Ford and the guy that I don't know. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but you know, the guy that's creating so much trouble, yes, you know, yeah. What I'm about. Yeah, the sheep um, not that I like that relationship, but I mean, isn't that, yeah, isn't compelling. that politics? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And so what happens when you've got something like that is it's educational. Mm-hmm. And I really think that we don't just want entertainment. Right. When it's just entertainment, it's cotton candy and it tastes good. Mm-hmm. But when it's educational, you know, it's broccoli that tastes like cotton candy. Yes. <laughs> you know? And looks like cotton candy. We're getting nutrition and we don't even know that we're getting it because mm-hmm. we're getting we're we're being edified, you know, by what ta- how Taylor is showing us yeah. how po- how these politics work. I mean, last night we were watching the scene, but where the guy brings the sheep to the America, to the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, sh- I was crying. Yeah. I was crying because he didn't have to do that. Harrison Ford could have kept the goddamn sheep right. and he could have eaten them himself. But instead he thought, well, these are some people who need something. Mm-hmm. And these are some people that have, you know, certainly been fucked over by, yeah. you know, the American government. Let's do something nice for them. Oh my God. So it's not just about looking at the pretty sheep. It's right. about the relationship between those characters and you saw how the american indian was like why are you looking at me right. with that kind expression on your face yeah, really yeah. understandably suspicious right and yeah. so then we get filled up as the viewer by by that helen mirren has a monologue in the second episode that i think is just exceptional i first encountered this material in the audition for elizabeth strafford and that's the girl that's marrying yeah um, the incredibly charismatic young kid with a great smile. Um, And I just remember I was teaching this material in one of my classes and I just didn't feel, you know, I was willing to to do the first scene between Jack and Liz and we did that. But then I read the monologue in the second scene. uh, What what happens when um, Helen Mirren comes to talk to her because basically what's happened in this episode is that you know they have to take the cows up higher because the cows are starving to death and that means they're going to be gone for two weeks and he's going to miss his wedding and the scene opens up with her being hysterically upset because you know she has to put off her wedding yeah they they have to postpone Mm -hmm. it yep right and i remember coaching that and i remember saying to the actresses who were auditioning for liz you know that i felt like at least that first scene needed to have more comedy in it yeah i I still feel that way. I still feel like we need to see a little bit more of her petulance yeah. and not getting her own way. Yeah. And and I don't know 
Um, I have no idea if Taylor is on set right now. I don't think he directed um, these episodes. But sometimes you can just tell when Taylor's not there. Yeah. Because when Taylor's there, no stone is left unturned. Yeah. And I think the same thing happened in this monologue. Okay. The second scene with Helen Mirren. Because I feel like this monologue is what the entire series of television shows is about. Yeah. From 18, whatever that one is called. Yeah. 1880. Yeah. Right? To 1923 to Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're all about um, how, how it's going to be. And then there is, a, there is a moment in the monologue where it says why we all feel this way. Yeah. And I felt like she, Helen Mirren did a very nice job with it. But I felt like it deserved more because it's saying why we need to preserve things. Yeah. And not just Montana. Yeah. But there are things that need to be preserved for so many different reasons. Mm -hmm. And right now we're just willy nilly taking everything apart in the world. And I think we need to look at that carefully. And I think that might be one of the things that Taylor's saying to us. And he says it to us in the 1880s and in the 1920s before the depression. And then now again in 2023. And um, so what he says here at the end of that monologue is she carries on about, um, um, she says, you will miss more than weddings for cattle, my dear. So it's all about the cows. And, and what we didn't get when she said that is you will miss more than weddings because of the fucking cows. Okay. And she's basically saying, you're going to, you're, if you give birth, he's not going to be there. Right. Right. Um, It could be a month before he meets that guy. That's how bad it's going to be. If you give birth in the fall, it could be even longer. And I'm making up the words here. Right. But I'm doing it it. (laughs) so that you get the sense. And then she goes, you're going to stand knee deep in mud with a sick cow. And you're going to drive wagons through blizzards for hay for cattle that are just going to scream at you. So it builds and builds and builds and builds until she has a big pause. There's an ellipsis right there. And she says, and you will be free in a way most people can barely conceive. And I think that is the thing that we all relate to. That is the thing that is, I think that's how Taylor Sheridan gets these shows across to so many people because we all relate. And it really, you know, great if you like a horse and a cow. I really, you know, horses are nice, cows smell. Um, (laughs) He manages to write in this monologue and have Helen Mirren explain why it matters and why all these things matter. And so I think it's really important And this takes me back to what I was saying to you guys earlier. I think it's really important that actors, I think so often actors look at monologues and they're like, oh, now it's the monologue. Okay, here's my line. If I'm Kara Dutton, you know, here, Liz Stratford, you know, Stratford answers the door, good afternoon. And Kara Dutton says, not a dull one, parents home. And I think most actors are like, okay, I can handle that. It's two short sentences. I know what I'm doing. Okay, but then you get into this long monologue. And I think, because of how, because of old fashioned actor training, you know, uh, and because in the olden days, we we were in the mountains of Russia with Stanislavski and Anton Chekhov doing Chekhov plays for nine months of period of time in the mountains of Russia, and then going back to Moscow, you know, we don't 
have nine weeks or nine months yeah. to put this mom to take this monologue apart and put it back together. And yet we must. Mm-hmm. We must be exquisite at what we do. Mm-hmm. And so we must be actors who inadvertently look at that monologue and in a period of under an hour, see all of the things that we need to do in that monologue. We need to see that list of all the terrible things. And we need to see that Kara Dutton is saying to Liz Stratford, it's going to be worse than anything you could ever imagine. And it could be the best. Yeah. Right? We we actors have to see that and we have to see it overnight. Sometimes we have to see it in an afternoon. Yeah. And I don't want my actors thinking that it's only a matter of luck and it's only a matter of type. It certainly is a lot of that. But what they can do that's extra is they can be the best at their job. Well, (laughs) Susan, did you have any thoughts on the series? Oh, just I mean, I agree. It's it's really incredible, like down to the last detail of the set of the costuming, in addition to the acting and just the scene of Montana. And I think it's shot in Wyoming. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe that's Yellowstone, but it's it's shot somewhere. I don't think it's shot in Montana, at least not all of it, but just the scenery is incredible. It all fits together perfectly. And I agree. It really transports you because it's, it's so grounded too. It doesn't feel like a caricature of 1923 in Montana. It's like, it's, it's very real. And then episode three. Yeah. I mean, I don't even want to talk about what happens yeah. in but so that's the other thing that Taylor seems to understand. He seems to understand that it's what Aristotle, and I talk about this all the time, but Aristotle said 2,400 years ago that theatricality is about surprise. Yeah. We want to surprise the audience. I mean, is anybody better at that than Taylor Sheridan? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Maybe Aaron Sorkin. I don't know. But the surprise in, yeah. in, in the surprises, I mean, for, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much to talk about in those first two yeah. episodes. Yeah. That yeah. Native American girl. Right. Oh my yeah. God. Those oh, oh my God. All those scenes. Those scenes are rough. And oh. Yeah. I think what makes it feel so grounded is that there's so many of those prizes I don't see coming. Like there's not, there's not like build up to them, which is very real because in real life, like stuff just happens. There's no tension music to build you up to it. So it's really well done. Um, can, you, can you believe, and I mean, I spent some time thinking how did Taylor even, I mean, I'm sure he did just an enormous amount of research about yeah, the right. time, but my God, that's just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And and that woman who plays the nun. Oh. <laughs> she, I can't think of her name right now. I, I should be able to look at it right here and figure out what it is. She is out of this world. Yeah. What did you think, Ben? What do you think of the show? I think Well, it's interesting because so far they've only released four episodes. So we yeah. only get the first half of the first season. You know, I, I really am enjoying it i'm i was super drawn to spencer and i'm i'm someone who watches a ton of tv and understands like the storylines and stuff but i didn't understand why this character was out there in africa for multiple episodes until they started talking about oh well he's gonna come and take over for reasons i don't want to spoil they're so good at establishing characters and relationships on this show um, and everybody knows everybody. That's the nice thing about having a small world, right? But that's why I was like so confused by Spencer being off on his own. Um, but I'm sure he's going to come back real soon and uh, get tossed into everything that's going on back in Montana. Yeah. And let me tell you, Ben, um, I saw a lot of people audition for that role. Yeah. And it was, you know, really hard because you don't really know until episode two mm-hmm. that he's going to come home and that he's going to you know, run everything. So it was really hard. What is this guy doing in Africa killing right. tigers? Right. 
yeah. for those poor guys auditioning, it was really, it was really yeah, unclear. Tough. Yeah. I'm sure that's true. But I think the guy that's playing the role, this Brandon Sklenner, mm-hmm. out of this world, I think he's great. He's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I really can't think of a bad casting or bad performance in the show. Yeah, there it's are all no. so well done. And even great? the guy from yeah. Game of Thrones is great as mm-hmm. as the leader of that group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody is just, I mean, and of course, Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren are, yeah. are just a great pairing. Yeah. We like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling Movie Monologues. We're going to see how about both of you know films based on their famous monologues. So, Leslie, you're going to be playing against Susan. So, here are the rules. I'm going to read a well-known monologue. As soon as you know the name of the film it's from, shout it out. If you're correct, you'll earn a point. However, if you're wrong, the other person will get a chance to guess. I have five monologues for you to identify, and the first person to name three correctly will win our prize. So, Susan, what's our prize? Uh, It's some Life in the Credits merchandise, like a shirt or a mug or tote bag, something like that. (laughs) Very high Excellent. Excellent. All right. Leslie, are you ready to play? Not really, but hit it. (laughs) Susan, are you good? Yeah, let's do it. Here's number one. I know it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of That's darkness. The, the so, one that you know, see the movie or the the character, the movie, okay, the Lord, Tolkien thing, the, yes. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings yeah. is correct, Susan. Very good. Um, I don't know who the character. I don't remember. Well done, Susan. Susan. <laughs> you get a point. You get a point. That was specifically from uh, that was from Samwise okay. in Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. But good job, Lord of the Rings is correct. Susan's on the board with one point. Excellent. <laughs> Number two. You don't know about real loss because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anyone that much. I look at you. I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared, shitless kid. Any guesses? No. Goodwill hunting. Yes. Okay. Susan's on fire. That is Goodwill hunting. Robin Williams. Apparently, I don't remember anything from movies but the monologue because I'm not usually this good. <laughs> I am, I'm impressed. That was a hard one. I think you're very impressive, too. <laughs> very good. Number three. Get busy living or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. For the second time in my life, I'm guilty of committing a crime. Parole violation. Of course, I doubt they're going to throw any roadblocks for that. Not for an old crook like me. I find I'm so excited, I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. I can see the movie. Um, mm-hmm. um, um, the guy that used to be married to Susan Sarandon. Is that Tim Robbins? Yes. 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 And, but you know, where the one of them gets out of prison and finds the yes. money buried under the tree. Yes. That's exactly the movie. But I have no idea what it's called. All right. Well, it, 
Go ahead, I Susan. do, but I feel like we should split no. at this point. We're, we're no, Susan, it's no, we're yours. I can never it's, remember it's, names. It's Shawshank Redemption. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well, but here's the thing, Liz. We're going to give you that point because you did know the movie. You just couldn't. I didn't know it until you started outlining the plot. All right. <laughs> it's okay. We've got two more to go. we got two more oh, to go. No. No, no, was, Susan won. She got all three. That was a good team up is what that one was. We're not going to count that. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, number four. I know what you look like to me with a good bag on your cheap shoes. You look like a rube, a well-scrubbed, hustling rube with little taste. Good nutrition has given you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor white trash, are you, Officer Starling? That oh, accent. Clarice. That's the one with Clarice. Yes. That's exactly and, right. And but I'm never going to tell you the name of the movie. What's the name of the movie, Susan? It's the one with um, Clarice, who is the detective, and he yep. eats the people's skin. Oh, um, Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Yeah. So you guys are good like as a team. Is, this has turned into a different game where you <laughs> you do the monologue, you describe the plot, and I do the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's do one more. Okay. This is the last one. Just because you guys are teaming up on all of okay. these. But you are correct. That was Silence of the Lambs. See, I'm not good at games. I told you. You remember the plot, No, though. but you do you know the answer. You just don't know yeah. exactly the answer. True. Number five. Yeah. It was one of those days where it's a minute away from snowing. And there's this electricity in the air. You can almost hear it, right? And this bag was just dancing with me. It's like a little kid begging to play with it for 15 minutes. That's the day I realized that there was this entire life behind things and this incredible benevolent force that wanted me to know that there is no reason to be afraid ever. Video is a poor excuse, I know, but it helps me remember. I need to remember. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world, I can feel like I can't take it and my heart is going to cave in. So I've actually never seen the movie, I'm about to guess, but I'm going to guess American Beauty. That is okay. correct. I oh, somehow have never seen Susan that movie. Susan is I the know. clear winner. That is a definitive win yeah. for Susan. Well done. Absolutely. Congratulations. Such like to the game we invented, though, where it was like three like prongs of the same stool <laughs> all working together. I liked that. That's that more of fun. an improv game, yeah. really. Um, so, well, but you know what, Leslie, you've been such a treat. We'll give you a prize anyway. So. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. That's so nice. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, Leslie, would you like to plug anything? I'm plugging whatever's on my Instagram stories. Those are the latest things somebody told me they're doing. So awesome. those are, I think the things would... We're, we're, we're plugging. I guess my office would want me to plug our new class, which is called More or Less. And that's the one that is only an hour. But before you get to take More or Less, you kind of have to learn everything else. Okay. So you don't get to take More or Less until like, I think month four, okay. you can take that one. Um, but a, a lot of, that's really nice for a lot of people who like don't live in town, can't do, um, can't come in for ongoing and um and it's also really good for people who just want a shot in the arm every day yeah Great. you know people say that you know it's it's just like you know you go to the gym every day and you might not do like a full workout but you do spend 20 minutes on the treadmill and you lift a couple weights mm -hmm. and basically what you do is you get to hear somebody on my faculty tell you everything that you forgot last night right um, <laughs> And we do it twice a day, so you kind of can't miss. Yeah. And it's really inexpensive. And people can find more at, at LeslieCon.com, right? Yes, at LeslieCon.com. Great. Well, thank you, Leslie, for doing this. This has been a pleasure yeah, to talk to you. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks for having me, you guys. You're great. 
Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSongs.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This has turned into a different game where you <laughs> you do the monologue, you describe the plot, and I do the title. Yeah. <laughs>